as everyone can, let's take our seats and take a moment of quiet time in prayer, preparing our hearts for the hour ahead as Valerie plays through a song for us. songbooks to Angels from the Realms of Glory. We enjoyed starting a study about angels this morning in the adult Sunday school hour. Let's sing Angels from the Realms of Glory number 206 in our songbooks. singing Christmas carols again. I don't know about you, but I sure enjoy it. Welcome, everybody. And it's a delight to have some friends that some of you may have not met before, but Steve and Kathy are over by Sean and Loretta. Let's ask for God's guidance. Lord God, I do thank you that we can worship you today in song, certainly in the words of scripture and in prayer like this. And thank you that we can worship you in our fellowship one with another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, Father God, I realize that there may be someone here who is not yet saved or born again through faith in Jesus Christ. I ask you that this day would be the day of salvation for them. And that this Christmas season, as we focus on the incarnation of Jesus Christ into this world as God coming into the realm of mankind in the flesh so that ultimately as the sinless God he could pay the price for our sins by shedding his blood and dying on Calvary's cross and rising again from the grave 
on the third day, just as the Bible says. Father, I ask you that that message would be spread throughout the land. There is much opposition to it, you know, in America, and it grieves us, Heavenly Father, and I ask you that you would change that trend, that there would be a great revival in our land, and it might start right now among us. Heavenly Father, I also ask you that you would protect the nation of Israel from the enemies that they face. We realize that you have a special place for that nation yet, though they too need Jesus Christ as their Savior. They must accept him as their Messiah and Redeemer. And Heavenly Father, I ask you that there would be many Jews that are converted to genuine Bible Christianity during these days of war in their land. Heavenly Father, I ask you too that we would be those who have a right mind about these matters. Heavenly Father, I ask you that you would bless us during this hour together. Thank you for each one who is here. And I do ask you too that ultimately Jesus Christ would be exalted as we gather together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I'd like to ask us to open our songbooks to 211. There's a song in the air, and if you want to stretch your legs, we can stand. We'll stand for, there's a song in the air, number 211, and then we'll be seated right away, and the men come for the offering. Okay. There's a star in the sky, there's a mother's deep prayer, and a baby's low cry, and the star rains its fire while the beautiful sing for the manger of Bethlehem, cradles a king. There's a tumult of joy or the wonderful birth For the virgin sweet boy is the Lord of the earth For the manger of Bethlehem cradles a king. We rejoice in the light and we echo the song that comes out through the night from the heavenly throng. Oh, we shout to the lovely evangel they bring and we greet in his cradle our Savior and King. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias, after the name of his father. His mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how, would we ha- how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John, and they, all, and they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt around about him, and these sayings were noise abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Amen. Amen.
Emmanuel. His name is called Emmanuel. God with us, revealed in us. His name is called Emmanuel. I'll just ask a general question. You can show hands if you want to. How many of you believe God performs miracles or that miracles are real? No? Good. Okay, most of you. Well, hopefully we'll convince you even more so as we go today. Noah Webster in his 1828 dictionary, by the way, if you don't have one of those, you need to get one, defines miracle. It comes from the Latin word meaning a wonder. We sing about wonders at Christmas time. We read about many of them in our Bibles. He goes on to say in theology, an event or effect contrary to the established constitution and course of things, or deviation from the known laws of nature, a supernatural event. Noah Webster. He goes on also to say miracles can only be wrought by almighty power as when Christ healed lepers saying I will be thou clean or calmed the tempest peace be still only God can do that mankind cannot that is why his disciples said what manner of man is this it's incredible because he's not man he's God And we should never forget that. Let's go to him in prayer as we look into this special time about miracles today. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the miracle-working God. There is none other. And we can worship you because of who you are. Just one of your attributes is your omnipotence. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for certainly that. You've changed the course of mankind and history, so much so that you've brought everyone into this room today. We don't know how all those details have worked together to bring that to pass, but we know that you've done it, and we thank you for it. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, that we would never take for granted that you are the one and only miracle worker. There is no other, and that we can trust you and that we know you will work all things according to the good pleasure of your will, ultimately. And Father, in the meantime, there are many things that are messed up in our world, and you know that even more clearly than we do. But Father, I ask you that we would be those who bring honor and glory to you in spite of all of that, and that we can enjoy and worship you and the miracles that you have wrought at Christmas time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, there will be a variety of Bible verses as we get into this, so hang on to your seats. In a little while, we'll be going there. The Bible is full of miracles. In fact, it is a miraculous book, the Bible itself. (laughs) And it is supernaturally given to us. Its origin is supernatural. It is a miracle that we have our Bibles to this day. The three Greek words translated miracle are dunamis, and many of you recognize the sound behind that as dynamite. It's a powerful force. That is one word that is translated miracle in our New Testaments. Another one is terata, and it means a wonder, and we wonder about those things. The man will be singing a song, or at least trying to practice a song, I wonder as I wonder. And then the third, uh, let's say, Greek word is semia, and it means a sign. And of course, there were many in Jesus' day that sought a sign, and people in our day and age that seek signs as well. 
a miracle, let's say a Bible miracle, not a pseudo-miracle that some people claim out here all around us. A Bible miracle is a supernatural act of God, sometimes through one of his messengers, and that could be a human or an angelic messenger, A Bible miracle is a supernatural act of God, sometimes through one of his messengers, that is contrary to the observable processes of nature and sometimes a reversal of nature's course. Tom just read for us about one of those, didn't he? Elizabeth was too old to have children. She had stopped having that cycle in her life years and years before. There was no way. It was impossible. God reversed that course And miraculously, John was born. If I asked you, dear folks, for a show of hands, who has seen a miracle, which I would assume this, lots of hands would go up. We think we see miracles, and it's okay to look for them. It is a popular subject, by the way, and a controversial subject. It's not just a given Hollywood has made millions of dollars with movies and documentaries about miracles. Many of you have seen some of those programs, and so have I. And okay, they're intriguing. Let's not take them out of perspective, though. Many of the favorite Christmas movies include the intrigue of miracles like A Christmas Wish. That's the title of a movie. There is a Christmas tree miracle. I've never seen that one. Another movie is Miracle on 34th Street. And that's a very popular one, a classic, if you will. And then there's Christmas Miracle, and I didn't really do much. I asked Monetta to find a few for me, so she did. (laughs) There are many out there. Many, many books and articles have been written about miracles, and some of you probably have books on your shelf or articles somehow filed away about miracles. And I would say, yes, I do. The charismatic and signs and wonders movement are built largely on the pretense that certain individuals presently have the ability to perform miracles. You can even buy miracle products like prayer cloth. You can buy miracle water. You can buy anointing oils that have miraculous properties, supposedly. Miracle art, there's all kinds of miracle art and crystals and stuff like that. And sadly, many have been taken in and wasted what little money they have on stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about today, okay? I want us to look at Bible miracles. I would say this. Shame on the deceivers and the crooks out there. There will be a judgment for that, I believe, in store for the false prophets, the false healers, and the false miracle workers who proclaim their false doctrines. The Bible is full and clear about judgment for all of that. But to go in that direction is not my intent today. I know biblically that the Lord has and still can do miracles. On the other hand, there are a growing number in our secular world who deny anything supernatural. So I want to say, oh yes, there is the supernatural. God does miracles. But there are many out there that want us, want to silence us who do believe in the supernatural, that God is able to do miracles. Starting with notables like Charles Darwin, of course, all the way through the likes of Richard Dawkins today and Bill Nye, the so called science guy, you know, they deny the supernatural. They claim all can be explained by science and empirical evidences. Uh, there is no supernatural, they say. Theological heresies, like what the Sadducees in Jesus' day claimed, the Sadducees and Pharisees were different, you know. 
Many of you know that the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in resurrections, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. So they were sad, you see. (laughs) It led them to embrace such false, or let's say heresy, false teachings, as the Gnostics, who Paul wrote about in Colossians, and many other false philosophies that denied miracles in one way or another, they were condemned in the New Testament. The Epicureans, the Stoics in Acts chapter 17, verse 18, and many others who deny, denied the supernatural. And today we have many who deny the supernatural, that God is not able, God is not in existence. They want us to uh, embrace and certainly he's not able to do anything. So there, there's a lot that we could go in that direction. Today, the textual critics, the documentary hypotheses that they've come up with, deny the Bible is true, including su- the supernatural elements of the Bible. The Jesus Seminar, believe it or not, and other groups do similar to discredit the Bible the authenticity of the Bible. And in discrediting the authenticity of the Bible, they discredit the miraculous, the supernatural. And to deny that, they discredit God, if you will, which means there is no human accountability, no responsibility, and any lifestyle is acceptable. Do we see that happening all around us? Oh, whoa, yeah, we do. Even in Eureka, You know, I said any lifestyle is acceptable with the exception of Bible-believing Christianity. That's not an acceptable lifestyle to them. Pray for our country. What a mess we is in, you know? But I'm glad that God is able to do the supernatural. He still is in the business of saving souls that are lost and bound for hell, And he's in the business of changing people's lives to bring honor to him. I'm thankful that he is omnipotent. I've read that Buddhists believe that Buddha performed a few miracles and Islam teaches that Muhammad performed some miracles. A few other major religions do too, but by far... And this is the way it works. By far, Bible-believing Christianity teaches more about miracles than any other religion on earth. Why? Well, because we have a miraculous book that tells us about the supernatural God we have. Our God, the one true God, is the God of supernatural and miracles. Now, I only have two more pages in my notes, but I'm afraid they're going to take us some time, okay? (laughs) On the back of your bulletins, I typed this out. It was probably April in the year 5 BC. A young Jewish couple slowly made their way from Nazareth to the little town of Bethlehem, a trip of some 80 miles. Warm days and cool nights, much like Florida's weather, followed them. Deeply in love, they could not help but recount the miraculous events which led to their journey. The story of a miracle is always attended by miraculous events. If taken by themselves, they may seem only ordinary until taken together. The birth of Jesus Christ was just such a miracle. I have a list of about ten And we'll only try to cover two today. The first one is miracles of prophetic proclamation, and the second one is miracles of preparation. John the Baptist, Tom read a little bit about his birth for us a few minutes ago. So bear with me. Miracles of prophetic proclamation. Oh, by the way, in the next couple of weeks, I plan to cover as many more as I can, okay? So we'll be... Considering Bible miracles around the birth of Jesus Christ or miracles of Christmas, if you will, 
in these next few weeks. Miracles of prophetic proclamation. The Old Testament tells us that the Messiah, or Christ, would be born of the seed of a woman. Let's go to Genesis 3 and look at verse 15. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is unusual language because the man, the human father, is normally the one who is addressed. In this case, God addresses Eve in verse 15 after addressing the serpent in verse 14. In verse 15, he addresses Eve, and I will put enmity between thee, that's the serpent, the devil, we know from Revelation chapter 12, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, not the seed of a man, her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is an early prophetic statement in our Bibles about a woman giving giving birth to a man, a man-child, or his heel, if you will, at the last two words of that verse, without a human father. First time. Go to Galatians chapter 4. In the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us, I'm almost there, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. There is so much just in that, those two verses that we looked at. It's miraculous that God himself came into this world born of a woman only. And at Christmas time, we recount that in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 every year. And we will even more in the days ahead. And I'm looking forward to that. However, there was a period of time, the fullness of time, at a certain time in human history, God chose to bring a man-child into this world that is divine, that human divine nature combined, because he's God, made of a woman called her seed in Genesis 3, verse 15. Not only at a specific point in time, the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, but also made under the law the Old Testament law had been given 1,500 years before, and it had run its course. Remember what Jesus said, that he has come not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He did. When he came into this world, he fulfilled all that needed to be fulfilled in regard to Old Testament law. It had taken them 1,500 years to learn that they were sinners, and they couldn't save themselves. They had 1,500 years to learn that. Now, in the fullness of time, a different plan has come into being. And, of course, faith in this one man, born of a woman, made of a woman, <clears throat> came under the law. So the Old Testament really ends, if you will, at the cross. I know our New Testaments tell us about the cross, but the Old Testament law ends at the cross. Let's look at another prophetic proclamation that was miraculous. He would be a descendant of Abraham. If I'm keeping my hand in both Testaments, you can do the same. Genesis 12, verse 3. God made a covenant with Abraham and promised him this. Genesis 12, 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And I know... Currently, that's on our minds because of what's going on over in Israel. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God promised Abraham 
a seed, which we could look at in Galatians also, not a seed as of many, but one seed, which is Jesus Christ. And that is in Galatians chapter 3 as well. However, let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. One of the miraculous prophetic proclamations was that he would be a descendant of Abraham, one specific individual. Matthew 1, verse six, verses 1 through 6, okay? Matthew 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 6. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren, and Judas begat Perez and Zerah, and Thamar, and Perez begat Esram, and Esram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Neason, and Neason begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz, if you will, of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Those are very clear statements that this individual, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, he is a descendant of Abraham. Thirdly, a miraculous prophetic proclamation is... He would be from the tribe of Judah. We just read that. In Genesis 49, verse 10, the Old Testament patriarch Jacob was about to pass away. In Genesis 49, verse 10, he said, as he blessed his sons, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Shiloh is a reference, one of those titles, if you will, of Christ as the Messiah. Since we have looked at that as far as from the tribe of Judah, not Reuben, not Gad, not any of the other tribes, not even the priestly tribe of Levi, but Judah. Look at Luke verse 33 in the New Testament we find this in Luke 3 verse 33 in regard to the genealogy of Jesus Christ starting at let me go to the very first Jesus himself began to be about 30 years verse 23 Luke 3 23 of age being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Methat, and so on. When you get down to verse 33, which was the son of Aminadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Esram, which was the son of Perez, which was the son of Judah. Very clearly, one of those prophetic proclamations was not only would this seed of the woman be born in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but specifically Judah from that tribe. An heir to the throne of David. Go to Isaiah 9. We've got to do that. That's always fun to go to Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This may be the first time we've looked at that this year. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We read this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. Here it is. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will be miraculous that all of that falls into line. It's not ordinary. It is supernatural. In Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, 
This is what it says there in regard to the throne of David. Luke 1, starting at verse 32, when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary, he shall be great, verse 32, shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Do you see the tie between Isaiah 9 and what Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter 1? Certainly, it's all miraculous in prophetic proclamation, and it happened just like it says. He would be born in Bethlehem. Another prophetic proclamation that actually was fulfilled. Micah 5, verse 2. If you go to your Old Testament and you go to, you find Jonah, which I just went past it. Micah is the next book, okay? In Micah 5, verse 2, is that very popular Christmas verse, and rightly so. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Hmm. Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. (laughs) This one being born was an eternal being that came into the human race of mankind. And so we read about that in The New Testament, if you're in Luke, go to chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Then we'll go back to Matthew for a moment. Luke 2, verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. It was in the fullness of time that Caesar Augustus proclaimed a census to be taken and it moved Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem just as Micah foretold. A prophetic proclamation that's miraculous. Go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and we'll look here at another statement about that where, of course, the Magi from the east or those wise men from the east had traveled to find this Messiah of Israel. In Matthew chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 we read, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes together, this is Herod, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And it was so. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a rightful heir to the throne of David, of the tribe of Judah, who was a son of Jacob, who was a son of Isaac, who was a son of Abraham, just as the prophetic proclamations of the Old Testament claim. And if you're in the Old Testament, go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I remember Randy and I were talking about this once. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, there is a clear tie-in with the New Testament, and we will see that. Wow, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's only right that we look at this. Only one human being in all of human history fits Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign a miracle. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, 
verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Miraculously, by prophetic proclamation, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin without human intervention. We've already talked a little bit about that. In Luke chapter 1, it says it this way. I'm going to go there. And you may follow me. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 30 and read through the verse 35. Luke 1, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I understand both Joseph and Mary not knowing what to do with all of this. But God brought it to pass miraculously. And then there was one more, if you will, an Old Testament prophetic proclamation. By the way, there are many. And I just chose seven. (laughs) And you have six bullets, I think, in the back of your bulletin. So do with it what you need to. A miraculous star would appear. That was prophesied by a very unlikely prophet of the Old Testament. Go go to Numbers chapter 24. In Numbers chapter 24, we read about a, a miraculous star that would appear around this whole event. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, this is Balaam. He said as he took up his prophecy or parable, verse 15, verse 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. So it wasn't near the lifetime of Balaam. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So we find that there would be a miraculous star that would appear. Now you have to go to Matthew chapter 2, of course. You know that. When you put all this together, it points to the supernatural. It cannot happen accidentally. Certainly, the law of I was going to say decreasing probability, and I think that's the actual mathematic law, applies here. When you add more and more criteria, the probability decreases to the point where it's impossible. And that's what we're seeing just in these. It makes it impossible otherwise, and yet it did happen because of the miraculous, the supernatural God we have. Matthew 2, verse 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him, said those wise men from the east that came to Jerusalem. Look at verses 7, 8, and 9. Then Herod, when he privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. He had actual bad intent there. However, we read on. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, 
The star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Stars don't do that unless it's a miracle. And it was. Miracles at Christmas. There, there are so many that we have just, if you will, touched the tip of the iceberg today. These that we've just seen are a small sampling of many prophetic Miracles which proclaim Jesus as the Christ of Christmas. Now let's look at the second that I have for us today, and it will take us a little beyond the hour, but I think that's okay. Miracles of preparation. John the Baptist. John would prepare the way, of course, for Jesus. But it's prophetically proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 40, and this is a good passage to take someone to who denies that Jesus is God. In Isaiah chapter 40, I'll just read a few verses, 3 through 5. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it yes John the Baptist was part of the miraculous preparation for Jesus Christ being born into this world in Luke chapter 3 it says it this way in Luke chapter 3 verses 3 through 6 And Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest. Let's see, Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, And the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. The Old Testament law had shown them that they were sinners and they needed to repent and have their sins forgiven. And that's what Jesus offered. Verse 4 says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John proclaiming that, was fulfilling miraculously Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Similarly, he would be a messenger. Go to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and we've teased around here. It's the only Italian book in the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, some would pronounce it Malachi. Anyway, Malachi 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And he did. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And then in Luke chapter 7, it also fulfilled that. I'll give you those references. Luke 7, verses 24 and 27. John would be God's messenger. His parents were both righteous before God in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to spend the rest of the time now in Luke 1, so we don't have to go all over our Bibles right now. Luke 1, verses 5 and 6. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judah, or Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. How would this couple be called righteous by God? They were believing in what the Old Testament said about their coming Messiah, Christ, Redeemer. They were righteous because of what they believed and how they lived. They were both of the tribe of Levi, so John was not a fulfillment. He was not a tri- of the tribe of Judah. He was of the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron and the priesthood. 
Verse 5, we just read that. So John would be a priest of the priestly line. Another observation about this miraculously is God had preserved this couple in their old age for just this time, such a time as this. Yet they had never had children of their own. They hadn't. Verse 7, And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. Another miracle was about to take place, but God is a miracle-working God, and his preparation was about to happen. Look at verses 8 through 17. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, Zacharias, that is, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. By the way, this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime privilege for Zacharias. And there appeared unto him an angel, verse 11, and the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Tom read about that event. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, teaching them to repent. That was John's message. And he shall go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah, that is, by the way, he shall go before him. There's two pronouns there. John shall go before the Messiah, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am old. And I'm sorry, I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. <clears throat> Gabriel was the angel that spoke to Zacharias in the temple as he performed his duties at the altar of incense for a few days. Zacharias doubted, though, but God meant business. Verse 20, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Dear friend, don't doubt God. I understand what happened with Zacharias. It seemed impossible. But with God, Jesus said all things are possible that are according to his will, of course. And so, there was that. This was the first revelation from God in 400 years. God had been silent in other times in history, and he had been silent all the way from Malachi to this, uh, the words of Gabriel. And now we have new revelation from God, a miracle of God's revealed word again to mankind. So that was another miracle. How about the miracle of conception for Zacharias and Elizabeth? Certainly that was the case, verses 23. And it came to pass that as as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed, that would be from the temple, to his own house. And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein... He looked on me to take away my reproach from among them. A miracle. John's name was a miracle. They always would have typically, that is, named the son after the father. In this case, John, which means um, blessed of God. I mean, 
glory to God. Anyway, John's name was just as God said, our scripture reading, and the miracle of a loose tongue. And then there was the miracle of Zacharias' message. And this is what I really wanted to get to. Zacharias' message is incredible. When he, it says that as soon as his tongue was loose, Zacharias blessed God. As we just read a little, he praised God in verse 64. Luke 1, 64. Bear with me as I read verses 67 through 79. I'll pick it up where Tom left off. And his father Zacharias is filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. And this is how he praised God, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. What's he talking about? Well, let's read on. And hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, who was a descendant of Judah, not Levi. So this is not speaking of John here. This is speaking of someone beyond John. Do you see that? And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that he should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. There is a realm out there, unseen, that hates us and we need to be saved from their power as well as the political forces in our world today. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You know, it's a miracle that Zacharias could say these things. He didn't know all of what he was saying, but he said them because of the miracle of God. Verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, back in Genesis, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, and now he's speaking about John, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins only through the one that John would prepare the way for. And we know that's Jesus Christ. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Dear friend, do you want that? I do. That day spring on high literally is a way of saying from sun rising and it is an example of that light to them that sit in darkness. The miracles surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ are more numerous than we can take the time to expound on. But let me say this. John pointed the way to the light. Let, how do I know that? Go to the Gospel of John. Chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Verses 6 is where we'll start. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay? That's where we are. John, chapter 1, verse 6. And that was not the Apostle John. That was John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of what? The light that all men through him might, be, might believe. He was not that light. John wasn't that light. But was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. They preferred darkness, and that is exactly what Zacharias was saying in his prophecy back there in verse 79, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Verse 11, 
John 1.11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Yes, Zacharias foretold of salvation through this one. It's all miraculous. It's all incredible. Have you received that salvation offered through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world? We uh, certainly think of a lot of this at this time of year. What a miraculous summary I have tried to do for us. But there is a point to it all. We are all sinners. We need remission or forgiveness for our sins. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ or receiving him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There is a point to the whole list of miracles that I only touched on a few of them. The point is salvation for everyone that is in darkness naturally because we're born sinners into this world. We need Jesus Christ as our Savior to give us spiritual light and new life. If you're not sure about yours, if you've made it personal for yourself, you make sure of that today. You please talk with me. I'd love to share more with you about it. If you're a believer, and I'm sure most here are, you have a lot to be thankful for. Thank God for the miracles. And be ready to tell someone else that they too can have the light of life as we have just read about. Heavenly Father, I do ask you that you would use this summary of the miracles that span from Genesis all the way to the New Testament accounts and even beyond, as we'll see next week. And Father, I I thank you that you are the supernatural, wonder-working, miracle-performing God, and that there is none else. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can know you personally and eternally through faith in the one that John pointed to. May we point others to him as well. We have the account recorded in our Bibles that we can open with others. And I ask you that you would challenge us, that the Holy Spirit would work work in us, whereby we would share the truth and the miracles of Christmas with others this time of year. Whether it is talking with them personally or sending them a note. Heavenly Father, I ask you that you would do a special work in our county and in our state and in our land these days. Because of who you are, we know that you can and we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and sing a closing song. And I don't have my bulletin. What number is it, Valerie? 368? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Valerie. It's 368. And let's stand as we are dismissed. 368, it took a miracle. My Father is omnipotent And that you can't deny A God of might and miracles written in the sky It took a miracle To, to put the stars in place It took a miracle to hang the world in space, but when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle.
miracle of love and grace. Though his glory has been shown, he still can fully see the wonders of his might, his throne. Will take eternity. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and of love and grace. The Bible tells us of His power and wisdom always through. And every little bird and flower are testimonies too. It took a stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of I'm glad for his miracles, aren't you?